So the title of the message this morning is Paul encourages believers in Asia and Greece. Paul encourages believers in Asia and Greece. So we're looking at Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. Folks, this message is about encouragement. This message is about encouragement. We're going to be taking a look at the historical narrative of Paul encouraging a bunch of Christians, a bunch of churches through Asia into Greece. But as we read it, let us think about encouragement in our life. This passage, it begins with encouragement and it will end with encouragement. May we be encouraged as God's people. Acts chapter 20 verse 1 says, After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, he said, Farewell, and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, note the word there, he came to Greece. There he spent three months. And when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater, the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Segundus and Gaius of Derby. I love these names, don't you? All right. Somebody's got to name their son one of these names. And Timothy and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. Just makes my tongue laugh when I say that. Tychicus, Trophimus. All right, where was I? Verse 5. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. Now this incredible story about this young man named Eutychus who dies and Paul brings him back to life. You know how you can remember that Eutychus is the guy that fell out of the window and died? Because Eutychus too if you'd fallen out of that window. Okay... Some of you cuss without even falling out of windows. Don't look at me so religiously, okay? Verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. So no complaining about our sermons, all right? There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep, As Paul talked, I'm watching all of you, still longer, and being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive. And we're not a little comforted. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would give me a great anointing to preach your word and give my friends great anointing to hear your word, that we might together apply your word as you build your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Encouragement is a powerful thing. Just ask Kyle, who, as a high school freshman, found himself walking home carrying all of his books on a Friday afternoon when, out of nowhere, a group of his fellow students ran by him, knocking him to the ground, sending his glasses flying along with all of his many books. As he lay there, sad, discouraged, he looked up and saw across the street John, football player. John looked at Kyle felt compassion for him, jogged over, noted the tear in Kyle's eye, and awkwardly declared, those guys are jerks, they really should get lives, as he handed Kyle his glasses and helped him pick up his books. John was thinking to himself, why is this guy bringing all his books home over the weekend? He must be a nerd. Well, Kyle said thanks with a big smile on his face. It was one of those smiles that showed real gratitude. It turns out John and Kyle lived very close by each other, so John helped Kyle carry the huge stacks of books home. And then on Monday morning, when John came out of his house, there was Kyle walking by with this huge stack of books again. John spotted him and said, Boy, you are going to really build some serious muscles with this pile of books every day. Kyle just laughed, handed John half the books, 
and they walked together to school. Over the next four years, Kyle and John became best friends. Graduation day found John on his way to Duke on a football scholarship and Kyle going to Georgetown. As valedictorian of his class, Kyle was chosen to make the class speech on graduation day. He was understandably nervous, but Big John was there to encourage him with words, Hey, you'll do great, buddy. Kyle looked at John with one of those looks, you know, the really grateful one, and smiled, Thanks, John. As Kyle started his speech, he cleared his throat and began, Graduation is a time to thank those who helped you make it through those tough years. Your parents, your teachers, your siblings, maybe a coach, and your friends. I am here to tell all of you that being a friend to someone is the best gift you can give them. I'm going to tell you a story. John sat there in disbelief. As Kyle told the story of the first day they met, Kyle had planned to kill himself that Friday four years ago. He talked of how he had cleared out his locker so his mom wouldn't have to do it later, and he was carrying all his books home when he was knocked to the ground and then rescued by John. Kyle looked hard at John and gave him a little smile and said to the crowd, Thankfully, I was saved. My friend John saved me from doing the unspeakable. John heard the gasp go throughout the crowd, and he saw Kyle's mom and dad looking at him and smiling that same grateful smile. Church, never underestimate the power of encouragement. With one small gesture, you can impact a person's life for better or for worse. God puts us all in each other's lives to impact one another in some way. Dear Christian, be sure, be sure that God is speaking to you this morning, right now from this text. And his message is this. I have encouraged you. You therefore go and encourage one another. I have encouraged you. You therefore go and encourage one another. And if you are here this morning and you're not sure about God, you're not really sure about this word, you're not sure how to relate to him, I invite you to listen. I invite you to listen in on how God's people encouraged one another in the first century as described in our text this morning. And I invite you to hang around Palm Vista and listen and observe how God's people in the 21st century encourage one another here. Maybe you've already seen it in the smiles and hugs you witnessed this morning coming in to the school. Maybe you saw it and experienced it as total strangers. Maybe hugged you. Maybe hugged you a little stronger than you were comfortable with this morning and greeted you. Even as two strangers greeted each other, John and Kyle on that fateful day, they met. Here's the point. Like Kyle, we all need encouragement. Maybe our situation is not as dire as Kyle's was. We aren't thinking of giving up on life itself. But we may be thinking of giving up on that relationship, that dream, that project, that business, that job. Or, worst of all, God's call on our lives to live out our Christian faith with others in this church, sharing the gospel of Jesus with the world around us. What we need And what God gives us in this text is encouragement. God, the Holy Spirit, is called the comforter in the Gospel of John. He comes to comfort us, to encourage us, those of us who are followers of Jesus. And as followers of Jesus, those who have been filled by the Spirit of God, we should be encouragers of one another, comforters of one another in a world that can often be so discouraging especially to God's people. So here's the driving question. This is the question that drives this text. It is the question that God asks us. You ready? How do we encourage one another? How do we encourage one another? The lexical definition of encourage from Noah Webster's 1828 American Dictionary of the English Language is as follows. Encourage. To give courage to, 
to give or increase confidence of success, to inspire with courage, spirit, or strength of mind, to give hope, to embolden, to animate, to incite, to inspirit. And I love Noah Webster's Dictionary 1828 because often he will include scriptures. It's very, very Christian, very much the Bible is all through it. And the scripture that he cites is the one in Deuteronomy 3 where Moses is told to encourage Joshua. Be strong and courageous, Joshua. In Acts 21 and 2 in our text this morning, Luke uses a form of the word encourage twice to describe what Paul did when he spoke to the Christian disciples in the first century. And he he did this with the disciples scattered all across the then known world in churches that had been planted in Asia and Greece. Look at the text with me. Acts 20 verses 1 and 2. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, circle that word, encouraging them, He said, farewell and departed from Macedonia. Verse 2. When he had gone through these regions, Asia and Greece, and had given them much encouragement, there it is again, he came to Greece. Now here's another definition of the Greek word used or translated encourage, ing in verse 1 and encouragement in verse 2. That Greek word translated, this is from a Greek-English lexicon, the Greek word translated encouraging in verse 1 and encouragement in verse 2 comes from the root word parakaleo, parakaleo, which has a range of meaning that includes the come alongside to help someone, like John came alongside to help Kyle, to instill someone with courage, cheer, or comfort. Now, as I mentioned, the Apostle Paul in his gospel called the Holy Spirit the Comforter, using the Greek term paraclete. This is one who comes alongside us and comforts us. He encourages us, parakaleo, paraclete, one who comes alongside us, helps us, fills us, strengthens us, incites us to do godly things. And because he does that for us, he then calls us to encourage and comfort one another. We all need encouragement today, just as Paul and the followers of Christ needed it that day in Acts 20, 1 and 2. You see, they were in the city of Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. And if you could please show the map. And Paul had been ministering in this city for two years, actually over two years, So they're in Ephesus, which is right here. This is modern-day Turkey. This is modern-day Greece. So he's been in the city for two years. And what do we know about this city? Well, first of all, we know that there had just been a riot. There had just been a riot. By the way, when Paul was ministering in that city, he taught in a place called the Hall of Tyrannus. The Hall of Tyrannus. Two of the most fruitful years of Paul's ministry, as evidenced by the fact that God's grace, working through the preaching of Paul and others, had resulted in a revival. Thousands of Ephesians, probably 200,000 residents at the time, I think the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire of the first century. Thousands of Ephesians who had been worshipers of a goddess named Artemis or Diana, Her temple was one of the seven wonders of the world in the first century. Thousands of them stopped worshiping this pagan goddess, and they started worshiping the risen Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah and the Savior of the world. As we learned last week from Bentley's sermon, the economic effects of all these conversions on the city were seismic, so much so that the temple artisans of Artemis started a riot. But the riot or as it's mentioned here in verse 1, the uproar had ceased. So after two years of fruitful ministry, Paul is on the move again. This time, he's going to be encouraging all the new churches in Asia. Remember, there's a bunch of new churches planted here in Asia. He wants to encourage all these churches, and then he wants to cross the Aegean Sea, and he wants to go into Greece, Macedonia, and Achaia, and he wants to encourage all the new churches here that have been planted either by himself or his associates. But before he leaves, he wants to encourage 
the disciples in Ephesus. Yes, he's concerned about all the churches that he's planted. And he's particularly concerned, by the way, about the one right here in Corinth. If you remember correctly, during his two years at Ephesus, Paul wrote a letter to the church at Corinth called 1 Corinthians. And he's so concerned about them. And if you read that letter, if you know that letter, it's a pretty stern letter. He's trying to set things in order in Corinth. He's concerned about the church that he actually fathered and planted several years earlier. But he's concerned about them. He's so concerned about them that from Ephesus, he sends one of his trusted co-workers, a guy named Titus. And he says, go over to Corinth and find out what in the world's going on. And so now Paul says, no, no, I'm going to go myself and find out what's going on. But before I leave my friends in Ephesus, I want to encourage them. I, I want to I encourage them. So you see in verse 1 of, of chapter 20, after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. He probably was back in the hall of Tyrannus after everything settled down. Back to the place where he'd had such a great run for two years. He's about to leave. So he calls his disciples back to probably the hall of Tyrannus. And after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. So, Let's join them, shall we, in the hall of Tyrannus in modern-day Turkey. I mean, I could just imagine the meeting. Here's this older apostle. He's getting old now. He's got some miles on his body. He's been beaten a few times. I mean, this, this is a seasoned apostle. He's back in the place where it all began two years earlier. It has been a great run, but times are getting tough. There had been a riot And now there's this ongoing pressure by the worshipers of Artemis. These disciples need encouragement. And just like we need encouragement this morning. And God calls us to the Hall of Tyrannus, Miami Lakes Middle School Auditorium. Just like Paul rented that hall out 2,000 years ago, we rent this hall out today. So that you and I, so that we could receive encouragement. Well, what did Paul say? What did Paul say to encourage the disciples in that hall of Tyrannus 2,000 years ago? We have a pretty good idea because we have Paul's writings. One of them he wrote while in Ephesus. Another one, a letter that he wrote several years later to the church in Ephesus. So let's take a look at what Paul said there. And that gives us an idea of what he said that day in the hall of Tyrannus to encourage the disciples. Look at 1 Corinthians 1.9, it should be on the board here, on the screen. Paul says the following. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I can just hear the chorus we sang. That chorus we sang at the end of Great is Thy Faithfulness. Jesus, you're faithful. When all has gone wrong in the midst of riots and turmoil and uproars and beatings, desertions, You're steadfast in mercy, though I wander off. He's faithful even when I am not faithful. You carry me into and out of the storm. And I could just hear him say, Great is thy faithfulness, O God. I know that this hymn was written after this time with Paul, but I could just imagine them singing it. Maybe they sang it when they all got to heaven and this hymn was written. They joined in on the chorus and said, Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. Are you encouraged yet? Well, look at 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. Paul encouraged them with the core message of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. Paul writes, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I always also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with with the scriptures. Oh, my dear fellow disciples of Jesus Christ, I pray that you are encouraged this morning by God's faithfulness and calling you into fellowship with Christ Jesus, our Lord, who died for our sins and was raised for our forgiveness according to the scriptures. And if you're here this morning, and you are not quite sure what you believe about this, 
or even how to relate to this truth or how powerfully this truth should guide your life, I pray that God would reveal it to you through his spirit. Friend, with all respect, I know no greater way to encourage you and to open a door of lifelong encouragement for you from our Heavenly Father than by urging you to repent and believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose again on the third day for your forgiveness. Finally, we get a glimpse of how Paul encouraged them in the hall of Tyrannus from the letter that he would write them several years later. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 and 3, again on the screen. Ephesians 4, 1 and 3, Paul writing to these same disciples several years later says the following, Ephesians 4, 1 and 3, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. By the way, he was in prison in Rome when he wrote this. I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. As we review these verses, we discover that Paul's encouragement looked like this. It looked like urging them to walk in a manner worthy of their calling to which they were called in Christ. So that Paul encouraged the churches from Ephesus all the way around to Corinth by urging them to live a life worthy of their calling in Christ. Friends, that is how we encourage one another. Point one. How do we encourage one another? Point one, we encourage one another by urging one another to live worthy of our calling in Christ. Urge one another to live worthy of our calling in Christ. Well, Al, what in the world does that mean? I'm not a preacher. Oh, yes, you are. You may not be a preacher on Sunday morning here, but you are a preacher, dear Father, to your children. You are a preacher, dear Mother, in your home. You are a preacher, dear single friend, in your workplace, among your roommates. You are a preacher, dear student, in your school and in whatever activities you're doing right now. You are a preacher, dear career person, in your career, in your business, in your office. We are all preachers, and we are to urge one another to live worthy of our calling in Christ. This is what it means. This is what I think Paul did. He said to them, I want to remind you who you are in Christ, and then I'm going to call you to be who you are in Christ by the grace of God who faithfully put you in Christ. That's what I think he said in the Hall of Tyrannus. And that's what I think we need to say to one another. This is one of my favorite ways to encourage myself and others. This is how it works for me. First of all, I open up this Bible and I find out who I am. If I were adopted, if I found out I was adopted tomorrow, if my mom said to me, listen now, your sister was right, we found you in a garbage can. <laughs> Those of you who have older sisters, you know how evil older sisters can be. They say horrible things to younger brothers. One of the things they say is, you cannot be from this family. We found you in a garbage can. Fine, fine, I'll buy that. All right, mom, tell me who I am. Tell, tell me where I came from. Tell me who my birth parents were. I love going through scripture and finding out who I am as a child of God, as a Christian. That involves my new character, my new life, my new purpose. It involves my future. Man, this is what informs me, not what I lie to myself about, not what the world tells me I am, not what Satan would lie to me about. No, no, no. This tells me who I am. Do I always act like this? Well, no, I don't. And neither do you. But we can encourage one another by by saying, hey, let's live worthy to who we are. Well, who are we? This begs the question, do you know who you are? See, it's only by the grace of God that I am who I am in Christ. And then I cry out to God to give me the grace to be who I am in Christ. As Paul put it in Ephesians 4, verses 20 to 24 on the screen. Ephesians 4, 20 to 24. This is how he would say it. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, 
as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So we all have a decision. Am I going to be who I was or who I am? And I don't know why, but there's still a possibility to run around and act like who we were. That stinks, doesn't it? Hello, who let Satan into the church today? (laughs) Whoa, you're acting like the devil. Rather than getting all crazy and mad, just say, that's not who you are. Let me show you who you are. You're not an unforgiving, bitter, self-righteous person. Oh, this, this is powerful. Brothers and sisters, let us encourage one another to be who we are, even as my son recently encouraged me to be who I am in Christ. I'm driving to church on a Sunday morning, and I said, hey, Joe, take a look at this email. I'm going to send somebody. I mean, dude, I had spent hours working on this email. The kind, considerate, godly Alpino. <laughs> I mean, it was an email. I mean, if I'm going to get mad at somebody and really let loose on them, I usually do it with my mouth, sadly. And, uh, but no, this is an email. I had crafted this bad boy. It, it was great. So I hand it to Joe. I'm driving. He reads it. There's silence. <laughs> he goes, hmm. <laughs> I said, well, 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 tell me, son. And, you know, he, he's great. He said, well, Daddy goes, if I were them, I think I'd be really offended by this. <laughs> He helped me to see that it wasn't considerate. And then he showed me where it wasn't. I was blind to it. But then what was beautiful, he said, Dad, I know this isn't you. I know you're a considerate man because Christ has made us that. We're we're memorizing Colossians 3, 1 to 17. And uh, and he said, this isn't you. So he, he, he reminded me who I am in Christ. And then he urged me to live that way. And after three more edits and my wife piping in, I think the email went out much more graciously. (laughs) As Christ would have written it. And not an angry Alpino. Yeah. So this is how Paul encouraged the church in Ephesus. This is how Paul encouraged all the churches from Ephesus all around to Corinth. As he traveled. Now, if we could put the map back up for a second. Paul traveled. After he encouraged these guys, he traveled from Ephesus. And he went by land up to a place called Troas. And then he took a a ship over to a place uh, called Philippi, and then he walked all the way down the the Greek peninsula down to Corinth. And all the way up and down, he was encouraging, he was blessing, he he was encouraging the Christians. And what he was wanting to do is he was wanting to find out how did how was Titus doing? What's the report from Titus on how the church in Corinth is doing? And he was supposed to meet Titus up in Troas. So he departs Ephesus, and he goes up to Troas. So let's pick up the uh, verse 2. When he had gone through these regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. So this is this line you see up there that he's going up through these regions, through Asia. He's stopping at the churches. He's encouraging them with what we just talked about. Titus isn't in Troas, and so he says, i got to find out how they're doing. So he goes all the way down to Corinth encouraging the Christians. And it's in Corinth that we find the second way that we can encourage one another. Point two. How do we encourage one another? We encourage one another by partnering with one another in gospel ministry. By partnering one another in gospel ministry. First way we do it is encourage one another to live worthy of our calling in Christ. Second way we do it is by partnering with one another in gospel ministry. By the way, before I forget, if I blew by you a little bit with the whole Titus, Corinthians, he wrote 1 Corinthians in Ephesus, but now he's walking to Corinth and Titus is supposed to meet him in Troas. If I blew right by you with all that, I would say this. It's a fine study for you to do. To pull out Acts, find someone's name in Acts, get a concordance and find that person's name in the epistles. You know what the epistles are, right? Female apostles. That's a joke. That's a joke. Wake up, all right? Don't be like Eutychus. You don't want to fall out of your chair right now. I'm not going to bring you back to life, okay? I'm not Paul. <clears throat> They're not, okay, I was joking. They're not female apostles. There are no female apostles, okay? Uh, that's how I get in trouble. Uh, but if you, look, if you look at the epistles, 
find Titus, find his name in the epistles, and map it back over to Acts. And it's a really cool, you can like do timelines and, you know, kids in school, you can, you can just map out. This is history. This is beautiful history of the church being born. And you'll find some interesting connections. That's it for that commercial. Back to point two. How do we encourage one another? Partner with one another in gospel ministry. Look at verse 3a. Acts 23a. There he, Paul, spent three months. Where is the there? The there is Corinth. So now he's at the tip of the Grecian peninsula. He's in Corinth. There he spent three months. Probably because of the weather. Probably because of the weather. It was probably winter, 56 to 57 AD. So the fall of 56 or December 56 into probably February, March of 57 AD. Back then in the Mediterranean, you didn't want to be on the ocean, on the sea during winter. Oftentimes lanes were closed. Ships did not travel in the winter. They didn't want to lose their ship. So Paul had to wait. Now, here's another study you can do. If you, if, you, if you look on the screen here, just write this down, in Romans 15, 25 to 26, we learn that Paul wrote the book of Romans when he was in Corinth during this time. And we're, I'm going to tell you why in a moment. But look at this text here. Very interesting text. It says this. Now, this is the book of Romans. Okay? So he's writing to the church in Rome, Romans. And so he writes this. At present, however, so while he's writing it, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. Now, we're going to find out in a moment from Acts that when he was in Corinth, he was gathering money so that he could go to Jerusalem and give money to the poor saints in Jerusalem. So that tells us, hmm, he probably wrote Romans when he was in Corinth. That's how scholars do this. You could do it. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints for Macedonia. Now, that's the Grecian peninsula. Macedonia is that province in the north, Philippi, Thessalonica, and Achaia, that's that province in the south, Athens and Corinth. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. So, probably there's some sort of poverty, maybe a famine in Jerusalem. It's 56, 57 AD. Some of these churches in Achaia and in Ephesus, these were wealthier places. Jerusalem wasn't as wealthy. These other churches were on major trade routes. Remember, Corinth was a a port city, like Miami would be. Lots of goods and services are flowing through the city. These guys got money. So they're going to give some of that money to the poor saints in Jerusalem. Got it? But someone throws a wrench in the mechanism. Look at verse 3b. A plot, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, he was about to set sail, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So, What we find out here is that Paul plans to take a ship, once the shipping lanes open, from Corinth, across the Mediterranean to Syria, get off the ship and walk to Jerusalem with the money. But he finds out that Jews want to kill him. How did he find that out? Let me read a quote from John Stott. It gives us some good insight. should be on the screen. Yep. Paul's intention must have been to take a pilgrim ship. Remember, every good Jew would make three pilgrimages to Jerusalem. One of those three, one of those three uh, feasts was the Feast of Passover. So he's thinking, I want to go to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover, where thousands of Jews all over the Roman Empire wanted to go to Jerusalem. So he jumps on a ship, right, buys his ticket, he's going to jump on the ship, it's going to take him to Jerusalem. Here's what happens. Paul's intention must have been to take a pilgrim ship carrying Achaean and Asian Jews to the Passover in Jerusalem. With a shipload of hostile Jews, I practiced that several times this morning, it would be easy to find opportunity to murder Paul and dump his body overboard. And doesn't that just bring this to life? So like, Paul's about to get on the ship, and someone says, Psst, Paul, come over here. See that group over there? They are going to kill you on this ship. You're all crammed together in a ship for many, many days, and they're going to dump your body overboard. And Paul said, okay, I think the Holy Spirit has just spoken to me. (laughs) He changes his plans. Can we put the map back up? I'm working you out, Tyler, aren't I? So he changes his plans. Instead of taking this ship from Corinth over here to Syria, he's now going to walk the 450 miles from Corinth up to Philippi. Right around in here somewhere. I can't even see anymore. There it is, right there. Okay? 
So that's what he's going to do. And that's what we find out in verse 4. Okay, 3b, sorry. He decided to return to Macedonia. See that in 3b? Then look at verse 4. Verse 4 is this partnership thing. You thought I'd forgotten about the partnership thing. I hadn't. Here it is. Verse 4. Sopater, the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Segundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy and, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These, verse 5, these seven guys, went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of the unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. Who are this team of seven men? They're from all over Asia and Greece, by the way. These seven men, I believe, represent the churches participating. Remember Bentley said this morning, do you want to participate in this offering to Cuba? Let's partner with the reclaimed singles ministry team going to Cuba. It's just like what happened today. A bunch of different churches instead of a bunch of different people say, let's participate in an offering for the poor saints in Jerusalem. We're doing it for the poor saints in Cuba. We're encouraging them. But what I love is that these seven men represent a gospel partnership. Friends, they were as diverse as you and I are here at Palm Vista. I think last count we have 15, 16 nationalities here. We are so different in this church, and I love it. And these guys were different. Guys that were from the Greek Peninsula, guys from Asia, guys that were from <clears throat> Galatia, Timothy, um, and uh, Gaius from Derby and Lystra. See, th- these seven men went ahead of Paul to Troas. And then Paul, after walking the 450 miles up to Philippi, he links back up with Luke and Titus, who was probably related to Luke, may have been Luke's cousin. Have I lost you yet? (laughs) Now, how do we know that? Because in verse 5, notice that all of a sudden, in verse 5, we find the first person plural pronoun, we. These went on ahead and were waiting for us. At Troas, verse 6. But we sail. So what does that tell you? That tells you that the author of Acts, Luke, rejoins the team in verse 5. Remember, Luke was from Philippi. So probably Paul dropped Luke off in Philippi on his second missionary journey. Paul goes all the way around, ministers tremendously in Ephesus and in Asia, and now comes back around toward the end of his third missionary journey and picks Luke back up. And Titus is probably there. He, he finally sees Titus in Philippi. Something I forgot to tell you, and I apologize for this. While Paul was in Corinth for those three months, I did tell you this, he wrote the book of Romans. Okay, so now that you know that, now you know it twice, let's move on. I'm getting old, man. Uh, thank you. So they stayed in Philippi, and the Bible says that they stayed there until after the days of unleavened bread. So he missed Passover in Jerusalem, but he chose to celebrate Passover, the days of unleavened bread, in Philippi. Well, he celebrated the Christian Passover, right? What do we call that? Easter. Or I prefer to call it Resurrection Day. So he celebrates Passover, but Jesus is the Passover lamb. He's resurrected from with the brothers and sisters in Philippi, greatly encouraging them. This partnership for the gospel is greatly encouraging them. These are the men, all these seven men, plus Luke, plus Titus. These are the men that Paul has discipled for years. These are the men from different people groups, different countries, that we're now partnering together to bring the gospel to different uh, countries, to plant churches, to encourage believers, to raise up money to bring to the poor saints in Jerusalem. These were his partners in the mission. Who are yours? Who are you partnering with in the mission? Oh, there's a mission? Yeah, there is. There is. We need you. I can't raise an offering for Cuba by myself. It would be small. I don't have gently used clothes. What is that, Bentley? Gently used clothes? I'm wearing all the shoes I have. 
joking. I, I will give something, I'm sure. We all have so much in this country. But God wants us to, are you on mission with someone? And if so, with whom, my dear friend? That's the question God's asking you. What gospel ministries is God calling you to partner in and with? And it doesn't have to be outside. It can be right here. Let me give you an example. Some folks in our church, Vanessa, David Rios. By the way, pray for Jasmine Martinez. She was injured yesterday. Uh, She's going to be okay, but she had to spend the night in the hospital, Miramar Regional. Uh, So David Rios engaged to Jasmine Martinez. Pray for them. But David, Vanessa, and others, there are other artists. I know Amy probably is part of them. I don't know all their names, but I do know that they're gathering together and they're going to meet on July 28th in, a, in sort of a real artsy place in Wynwood in the design district. I'm actually going to show up. I'm going to try to look semi-cool, but don't have great hopes for that. Um, and, and, and we're forming this arts team. It's a gathering of artists for the purpose of encouragement, collaboration, and vision. And here's the vision for this meeting. It's the same as the mission of International Arts Movement, and and they say it well, so quoting from them, the International Arts Movement gathers artists and creative catalysts to wrestle with the deep questions of art, faith, and humanity in order to inspire the creative community to grapple with our present reality, faithfully steward our talents, and create rehumanizing. And we know that the way you ultimately rehumanize is that God redeems fallen creation and the marred image, the marred visage of man in Christ. That is ultimate rehumanization. And the ultimate dehumanization is what sin does. And we as Christians, we've got the answer. It's Jesus. But it can be expressed through the arts. And we can reach out to people from those arts districts. And that's what we're going to do. So, July 28th, check it out. There's something on Facebook somewhere. I saw it fly by my computer. Thought I hit the right button, probably didn't, but I'm going to be there. Final way we can encourage one another. And really the way that provides the basis for all the other ways to encourage one another is through the word of the Lord, the word of God, the Bible, the scriptures. And we see this as Paul finally arrives to Troas. Number three, how do we encourage one another? We share the word of God with one another in faith. Number three, we share the word of God with one another in faith. So let's pick up the narrative now. Verse seven, on the first day of the week, Many people feel like this would be the Roman first day of the week, so probably Sunday. On the first day of the week, when we, notice Luke is with them, were gathered together to break bread. This is in Troas. There's a church in Troas. Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And he prolonged his speech until midnight. So what do we have here? We've got a meeting of the church. We've got the breaking of bread, which we know from 1 Corinthians 11 that that meant remembering the Lord's death and resurrection. They were were celebrating communion together. And we we are having teaching. Many people feel like they probably broke bread first and then Paul taught. Why was it in the evening? Because no one could afford to come during the day. Only the most wealthy didn't work during the day. So it had to be at night after work. And so Paul taught. We know from earlier passages in the book of Acts, like Acts 2.42, that describes what happens when the Christians get together. There was also prayer, but there was the word of God. There was was teaching. As a matter of fact, when it says here that Paul talked with them intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech, uh, the word used there is dialeketo. We get the word dialogue from that. There is some discussion about whether this was just a straight-up sermon that lasted from midnight till dawn, or maybe even earlier till dawn, or if it was teaching, dialogue, questions, answer, teaching. I say both and. Why either or? I say both and. And I love this quote from Eckhart Schnabel. As much as I love saying his name, I love the quote even better. Eckhart Schnabel says the following. Paul had recently written a long letter to the Christians in Rome. Remember, he wrote it in Corinth. Remember that? He had recently written a long letter to the Christians in Rome as a summary of the gospel he had preached and defended since his conversion. It is not implausible to think that in the long meeting, Paul explained the gospel and the life of believers in Jesus along the same line. So that makes sense to me. If you're going to preach Romans, you're probably going to be there for all day. 
One day we will preach through Romans. One day. When I muster up the courage. No, we will. We will preach through Romans. But that's a thick book. If you know anything about the Bible, if you're, if you're new to this, Romans would be sort of like Paul's like masterpiece, theological masterpiece. What is the gospel? He just lays it out. It's thick. It's wonderful. It's powerful. We get so many doctrines, justification, sanctification, election. I mean, Romans 9 is powerful. It's just a powerful, powerful book. Well, he had just written it in Corinth. So it's very likely that he's talking about it in Troas. Probably preaching, then stopping. People are like, wow, maybe they worshipped. Maybe they did. You know what? Maybe they did what the youth are doing. Let me read you a, a testimony here. Because what I want to say about this third point is that we may not need to be in this meeting, and I ask you to be in this meeting because this is part of it. This is, the, this is the teaching part that Paul would have done in Troas. Thankfully, I don't go to midnight. Or we may not always do it in a community group. I think the community group is that dialogue part. Or maybe a Bible study like the one Cal's doing on 1 Peter on Sunday nights. You know, smaller group where you can talk about it. We may not be in that. Sometimes we can do this. Sometimes we can share the word of God with one another in faith. We can do it one-on-one. In fact, I would say that most of the encouraging through the word of God occurs in informal smaller meetings. Telephone calls. Or what the youth are doing. Let me read this testimony. I asked the youth, David Bush, Melinda, are doing this with the youth. Since taking over the Catalyst Youth Ministry, (laughs) stupidly, I printed this in way too small font. Since taking over the Catalyst Youth Ministry in 2011, David and I have been searching for a book or program to help us do accountability and discipleship with the youth and in our own lives. Earlier this year, Corey Smidgen introduced us to the book One to One by David Helm. This tiny little book says that the most effective tool for evangelism, I agree with this, discipleship and accountability. If you're here as a non-believer, or if you're here as one who's not sure about this, I would say, let's crack the Bible open and read it together. A, it's a great book of literature, the book of literature. It's wonderful. Okay? B, <clears throat> it's going to introduce you to things that may be new. Maybe, and exciting, and see, we trust the Holy Spirit to make it alive to you that you might understand. So I think this is a great way to do evangelism. You don't need to contextualize this. Let's just read it and talk about it. I love that. I love that. Effective tool for the evangelism, discipleship, and accountability is the Word of God itself. It may be the simplest concept, but one that we had been overlooking for years. The Bible. <laughs> Reading the Bible together. Period. Makes sense, right? So we each grabbed a couple of youth and started reading through a book of the Bible together. Amber Sedano and I decided to dig into Hebrews. What did it mean that Jesus was higher than the angels? How could he then humble himself and become a man, our perfect high priest? I can see if Paul gets into that, they're going to be talking all night. He suffered as we have. He knows temptation and we can go to him in time of need and find mercy. With God's words flowing over me week after week, I found myself both profoundly convicted as well as freshly encouraged. God became bigger in my eyes, even than my sin. I found myself driving, driving in the car, thinking about these massive, beautiful, convicting truths and responding to them in worship. Sometimes we... Amber and Melinda would end the night in awe, singing a worship song, or on our faces praying before our great God, or just talking together and laughing over our week. God has used this time to deepen our relationship with each other and our God in a powerful way. And we can't wait for the rest of the youth and church to experience God's word so intimately. This past Friday, we started a one-to-one workshop series with the youth that we are holding every Friday in July. It was so cool to look out over the George's backyard and see dozens of teenagers huddled together in groups, talking excitedly or praying over the Word of God. May it not be just the youth. Mm. I don't know how God is going to use this material, but one thing I know for sure is that when God's Word is opened, He works in powerful ways. Oh, yes, he does, church. No time to get into Eutychus falling. Just imagine this. If you were in a stuffy third floor room, it's at night, you've just had a big meal, and they have lamps, oily lamps, that are giving off the smoke of the oil, and you want to get just some fresh air, and you go and open the window, and you sit on the ledge, right? That's probably what happened. Here's the point. When Paul bends down, and grabs Eutychus and prays over him. 
it brings to mind Elijah and Elisha in the Old Testament lying on these boys that they, they laid on and they brought them, back, brought them back to life. It brings to mind Peter and Jesus, Jesus bringing back Lazarus from the dead, Peter praying and, and folks being brought back from the dead. It, 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 what it does, I think here, is it validates, it, it places Paul in this line of prophets from the Old Testament to Jesus to Peter and demonstrating the life-giving power of God and the word of God that Paul is preaching. Yet again, we see this validation of the word. It's the word that gives life. It's the word that gives life. How do we encourage one another weekly? Friends, by sharing the word of God together. Today, at community group, Sunday afternoons, Sunday evenings, at official Bible studies, at unofficial Bible studies, around your table with your children, talking about it, driving in the car. Don't read and drive, but maybe listen. Here's my appeal. The last verse in this text ends with encouragement. Actually, it's the word comfort, but it's in that family group of parakaleo. Look at verse 20. Excuse me, 12, my bad. Verse 12 says the following. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. That's that word group, parakaleo. Our text ends with the reality of the miracle concerning Eutychus comforting the believers. This Greek word there is in that family group. Let's encourage and comfort each other this morning by remembering God's faithfulness as we A, Urge one another to live a life worthy of our calling in Christ. B, partner with one another in gospel ministry. And then C, share the word of God with one another in faith. Let us pray. Worship team, please join me up front. Lord, Lord, we all need encouragement. I don't know. I don't know that there's anybody in this room that has even thought about giving up on life itself. But if there is someone, I don't know everybody here, there are guests here this morning, would you come alongside them? Oh, Father, oh, Son, oh, Holy Spirit, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, through the work of the Holy Spirit, would you comfort, parakaleo, would you encourage them? And then would you use us to encourage them? Would we have an eye out, oh, Father, to encourage others as we've been encouraged? To, to pick up the, the proverbial, the metaphorical Kyles who've had their books knocked out of their hands and their glasses knocked out of their faces and they're discouraged and sad. May we be your people to come and bring comfort and joy and, and happiness, not in us, not through what we can bring, but through you and what you bring, but we're the vessels. Lord, I pray that you would forge godly partnerships for gospel ministry. Lord, I pray that you would bless the reading of your word, both in the youth and the adults and community groups, Fathers, sons, mothers, daughters, husbands, wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, friends. Oh God, have mercy. Lord, may we urge one another in faith to be who we are in Christ, based on your great faithfulness. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing that song, Great is Thy Faithfulness.